We're going to be in Ephesians 6. We're going to finish up Ephesians today. And um, so let's open in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and what we're going to see from this. And we ask you just to guide and lead us as we wander through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 21. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things. And when I have sent him to you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to you, brethren, in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, all of them that love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Written from Rome unto the Ephesians by Tychicus. So we've got this individual that we're going to look at. The reason that Paul's finishing off this letter, he goes, he just got done talking about leadership and, and, and authority. He got talking about warfare. And he goes, but I also want you to know about me. Now, this, uh, the little end of this letter is, but by the way, I've given you this really long letter, now let me tell you something about me. Uh, most of us, when we write letters, we talk more about ourselves and what's going on than we do other things. And Paul's letters were always the other way around. He kind of tags at the very end this long list of people. And in this case, it's only a short list. Tychiatus. We don't know a whole lot about this gentleman. I mean, how many of you have ever heard of him other than, than what we just read? You know, uh, he's mentioned five times in the New Testament. He's one of the people that is actually mentioned fairly frequently. Uh, he's a companion of Paul. He, he spends a lot of time with Paul. And Paul is saying, he's sending him with the purpose of sharing what's going on with Paul. So I'm going to send him to you so I don't have to tell you in a letter. He will give you the testimony. He'll tell you what's going on. And, and he was trusted with carrying the letter. Now, in the Roman days, it wasn't, you, want, you didn't go to the post office, put a stamp on your letter, stick it in the box, and have it delivered to your, to your destination. Um, if you were very rich, you could use the royal, the royal post, you know, but you had to be of royal blood or, or extremely rich to pay for it. You wrote a letter, you sealed it, and you handed it off to somebody who was going to that city to go to that person's house and put it, put it in their hands. And nothing like our current little system. And Tychus is going to be the one who gets to deliver this letter. He's, and this is quite a responsibility. To, to be given the responsibility to take a letter was not something you just pick some stranger on the street and said, here, yeah, I'll pay you to deliver this letter. Uh, number one, your letter probably wouldn't get there. We all know what it's like if you prepay somebody. Uh, the job becomes very low on their priority list if they ever do it. So, uh, and you're going to send them to a different city, and you've got to realize how easy we take the idea of traveling to a different town or a different city. Uh, I drive, you know, last week, all five days of the week, plus Saturday and Sundays. So, you know, I drive every day from Kingman to here in Chloride last week, and usually four or five times in the week. Yeah. I got an old paper from 19, 1907 where it talked about the pastor of the church has gone to Kingman to pick up his wife. He'll be back in a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we laugh at that because you know, it's, 
you know, it's 30 miles, you know, 60 miles round trip, but you know, if you're on a horse and you're really pushing your horse, that's a three-day trip, round trip. You know, he would have been picking her up with a wagon. You didn't do anywhere close to that kind of time on a wagon. You look at the train schedule, it took the train, I think it was five hours to get from Kingman to Cloyd. We're talking only 60 miles, something we take for granted, we just jump in our car and you know, I've seen people and heard people say, well, I went to Kingman three times today from here, you know, and it's like, I think I would have gotten what I wanted the first time and not made three trips, but, but you, you understand what I'm saying, you know, we look at it and say it's only, an, you know, an hour out of my day to go there and back if I don't spend a long time there. Paul is getting ready to send Tychus from Rome to Ephesus. Ephesus is on Asia Minor, or what we would call Turkey today. Even by boat, this trip is a week to three weeks. If he has to go by land, it's months. You know, I bring this up because this was a very special job he was asking him to do. I want you to go and share this with, with the people there, and I want them to know that I'm doing okay. I'm in prison in Rome. I'm probably going to be executed soon, but tell them I'm okay. <laughs> uh, Paul's attitude is totally different than our attitude, isn't it? If we were in prison waiting to be executed, we wouldn't be saying, I'm okay. I learned that Paul was chained to two guards all day long. Every four hours, he got two new guards. Uh, his attitude was, I've got a captive audience. <laughs> These guys can't run away from my gospel message for four hours. How would you like to have some preacher preach to you for four hours and not even be able to walk out the door if you wanted to? This is the way, well, some of us wouldn't care, yeah, some of us wouldn't care, but you know, these guards had other ideas. They really didn't like the idea of being preached at for four hours. I can almost picture the guard going, oh no, I gotta go see Paul in another hour. I'm gonna get four hours worth of preaching. Paul's attitude was totally different than ours, wasn't it? We need to have that kind of attitude, though, you know, that we're able to witness and share. And he says, I'm going to send Tychus. And Tychus, he's called the beloved and faithful brother on three occasions. He is, Paul says he's going to send him to Titus so that Titus can come to visit Paul, which basically meant, Titus, I'm sending Tychus. He's going to watch your church for a while while you come and visit me. This is a trusted preacher and leader that Paul has groomed and, and, and led. He's been hanging out with Paul. I don't know about you, but most of my training has come by hanging out with other men of God as I would go and just spend time with them, lots of time with them. Listen to how they said what they said, what they did, how they prepared for a message, how they interacted with other people. That is where the true training for, for a leader comes. Not just, here, here's how you understand the scriptures. Because understanding the scriptures is the small part. Actually, ministering and delivering them is the, the harder part. And we've all either known of or maybe even seen young pastors who come out of Bible college and they have all the answers and they're, you know, they're right and everybody else is wrong and they're antagonistic with everybody. And, and of course, everybody loves them because they're so friendly and, and lovable and encourageable. No, unfortunately, the, the seminaries do a great job teaching them how to handle the Word of God, but not so great a job to actually interact with people. And Paul is saying, I'm sending somebody that's watched me. I'm sending somebody who's watched me, who knows how to minister to people. 
because he's watched me. And, and so this is the man that Paul is sending. And he's, the purpose is so they can make, going to make known all things. We're going to tell you about what's been going on in the prison. We're going to tell you about the guards who are getting saved. In Romans, he tells us about the, the guards who have gotten saved. That's why we know that he preached to these poor guards that were handcuffed to him. And, you know, it was, and that was how bad it was. It wasn't even that they were in the same room. He was, a, he was a enemy of the state who they did not running away, want running off, so they chained him to the guards. And Paul loved it. Paul loved that he had a captive audience. And it says, verse 22, Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs, and this is all the concerns and account, and that he might comfort your heart. This word for comfort here is the word parakaleo, and it means to call alongside of. It's used 109 times in the New Testament, and it's used in, in the words comfort and exhort. And we've talked often about the fact that we're to comfort one another and exhort one another. But the more I studied this word, and it's kind of interesting, the day I discovered this word, I found it in three different scriptures that I was studying. Okay, okay God, I've got the picture. I'm supposed to, talk, I'm supposed to learn about this. Uh, you know, when you're studying, you come across the same thing over and over again. God's trying to get your attention. You need to pay attention to it. So I started looking this, really getting into this word. And it really means call alongside, admonish, exhort, entreat, console, encourage, comfort, strengthen, instruct, teach, uphold. Our mission with one another is to parakaleo each other. <laughs> I had to get my word down. For a moment, it jumped right out of my head. We had to come alongside one another, lift each other up, and hold each other, and start walking with, that in, with each other until, they're in, until you're able to walk on your own. This is something that a Christian church does not do a lot of in many cases. Being able to come alongside and say, I want to help you. Sometimes you get somebody who's really good at giving you encouraging words. You know, hey, you're doing really good. See you later. <laughs> but this word parakleo means to come up beside, lift them up. Walk with them a little ways while you're giving them the good words and, and exhorting and teaching. You realize that teaching is part of exhortation? You know, this is what we need to be doing. This is how we need to live. This is, you know, we don't want to live this way. We, we want to be living for God. But we lift one another up and, and help each other. Walk with the, somebody. You think about somebody who gets injured. I, I played a, a lot of sports in, in both soccer and football. People tended to get hurt bad enough that they couldn't just jump up and walk off the field sometimes. And at those times, you'd come up and you'd put your arm around them. You'd, you'd get them lifted up. Another person would get on the other side of them. And almost you carried, especially if it was really bad, you ended up carrying them off for all practical purposes. They weren't walking. This is what that verse is saying. Somebody has fallen down. They're hurt. They're struggling. Oftentimes, we as Christians say, well, grow up. You'll get over it. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to come up. Help them up. Put our arm around them and say, lean on me for a while until you can walk again. 
Let's talk about where you're going. Let's, and that doesn't mean we spend 24 hours a day with them, but you know the idea. We don't just toss them aside. We're going to put our arm around them and walk them, teach them how to get their strength back until they've got their strength back. And then we go, okay, now you're ready. Go, you're ready to go back out into battle. That's what this word is all about. This is what that word is out there telling us. Do we truly love one another well enough to support that individual as they're getting back on their feet? and helping them make better decisions and make the right, make the right directions. And we walk with them. Another word that we can sometimes call it is discipling somebody. Teaching them, how do you think with God? This is important. One of the, one of the very first topics we did with the kids this week is we talked about counterfeits and the one true God. How many times do we get stuck believing lies of Satan and counterfeits instead of his truth. It's easy to get stuck in his lies, his counterfeits. Most of us can't recognize some counterfeits in many times. Of, I, I handled money all my life, and I could still be fooled by money because I didn't, I didn't study all the things that could be done on, a, on the bills that are wrong. But you know, the idea is, how do you actually learn to identify counterfeits? You learn the real. When Satan comes at us with a lie, if we've been in God's word enough to know the truth, the counterfeit will stand out. This is how they sit, I've been told that they, count, they train treasury agents. They just make them handle real money for weeks and weeks, and then they, then they slip a, a fake one in there, and they just they're fingering it all of a sudden, oh, that something didn't feel right. I've had this happen to me on the, listening to the radio. I was listening to a pastor on the radio, and it was kind of just background noise to me. And all of a sudden, I'm going, what did he just say? And I had to start paying attention to what he said, and I'm going, I like this guy. How could he teach something so stupid? <laughs> you know, I've probably done the same thing myself. You guys are out there saying, how could pastor be teaching this? It's a little, he's so far off. You know, but you know, we all have this chance when we're going to have this place where we can say something or do something wrong. And we need brothers and sisters that say, I want to support you as we try to get this counterfeit out of your mind. And the problem with counterfeit thoughts is they get stuck pretty deep. They get stuck pretty deep, and sometimes they're hard to get rid of. Especially if you got taught them when you were young in Christ, before you knew different things and, and filtered them out. Which is one of the issues I've always had with, especially Sunday school teachers that teach children. They have to be mature enough to know that what they're teaching is correct. Because when they start teaching children, if you teach a child the wrong thing when they're four, five, six years old, they're going to believe that for the rest of their life. They're going to believe that for the rest of their life. And this is not a good thing if it's wrong. Unless they finally come across some teacher sometime in their older age and says, oh, I'm sorry you were lied to, but this is what God's word says. But we need to be careful. We need to teach. We need to lift one another up. We need to disciple. Every single one of us needs somebody that we are, at least one person that we are discipling individually and trying to help get in a better place with Christianity. We need that person. We need that person to be. But even more importantly, Every one of us needs somebody who is still discipling us. Now, if you've been around for a long time with God and you're, you're very solid in the word, you may not be in touch with that disciple all the time. 
Paul, when he sent Titus away, did not call Titus up on the phone every night that he didn't have and say, how are you doing? Now, uh, might have sent him a few letters. Timothy wasn't sent. You know, Timothy had been trained. He says, okay, you're on your own now, but I'm still here. Send me letters if you need my, need my help. I've got people that I consider my disciples, and every once in a while I will call them up and say, you know, I'm struggling with this, or God gave me this, what do you think? So that I have somebody saying, well, you absolutely nuts, you don't want to teach that, or yeah, that's a really good, really good revelation you got. And you know what, I've been told every once in a while by my, by my disciples, are you absolutely nuts, how'd you come up with that? <laughs> you know, and you guys don't even know what those are. <laughs> but we all need these individuals in our life. We need these people that we're teaching and that are teaching us. This is the purpose of coming together as a church and ecclesia together in one corporate worship so that we can be taught, we can talk to one another. The greatest thing that we can start doing as Christians is share what God is sharing with us. Yeah. I'm so fortunate I get to preach and teach all the time, so I get to tell you guys all the time what God is showing me. But you know what? Even before I was a pastor, it didn't stop me. I've told you, I used to then go into the, to the restaurant and telling them, hey, you know what God showed me in the Bible yesterday, or what God did for me? These are non-Christians I'm talking to. <laughs> they thought I was a real nut. If I'm telling them all about what God is teaching me. But you know, if we can't do it amongst ourselves, we're never going to do it to, to the world. The greatest blessing I get is when somebody says, you know what, I wanted to show you what God showed me this week. And they tell me what God shared. I hope you all are doing that amongst yourselves as well. I was reading this morning, and look what I just saw this morning in, the, in my Bible reading. It doesn't have to be a real strong teaching. It's just an excitement that God got you excited about your word, about his word. And you know what? If you get excited, you might just bring excitement to the other people that you're talking to. If you're excited enough about God's word to share with the others what, what you read, they might just start wondering, wondering, maybe I should get into the word and start finding out these things. If you go to a Bible study and you hear something that's really good, share it with others. You know, many people in this church are missing great teaching on Sunday night. I'm not saying it's just because it's me, but you're missing some great teaching. Sunday night, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, Wednesday night. Now, uh, I understand that people can't be at everything all the time. But when you do, you're missing. You're missing a meal that's being presented. And we need to understand that. So but we're, we have fun. I have fun. I have fun teaching if it's only one person. So far, only one time did I have to preach the empty chair so I could put it on the internet. <laughs> that, was, that was a very tough day to, to give the lesson. Teaching the empty chairs was very tough. It was very quiet. I didn't have to edit that tape at all. No, no editing of that tape at all. There was no. The chairs didn't talk back or say anything that didn't need to be on the internet. Uh, but this whole idea of are we comforting one another? Are we building one in each other up? Are we looking to train one another? Because it's not just my job as pastor to do all the teaching and training. I enjoy doing it. It's a lot of fun. But if I'm the only one doing it, we've got a problem at the church because who knows what can happen tomorrow? Who knows what's going to happen in a couple months? 
know, we we could lose our country in a in a in a blink of an eye and be in a dictatorship that says you're not allowed to worship God anymore. You know, I'm on I'm on record on the internet calling sin sin. I could end up being arrested because they could make a law tomorrow saying that you can't call sin a sin. I wouldn't be quite that blunt. They would talk, they would say you you know hate speech. But we need to be ready. We need to be ready to encourage one another. We need to be ready to look at God's word and start sharing what we're learning. Because it's not just one person's job. Jesus said, go and make disciples to, to his disciples. They were to go to make disciples. And that wasn't just to his disciples. He was saying that. We're all to go out. Peter said we're to be ready always to give an answer for what we believe. That means that we know what we believe, why we believe it, and then we can share with people as to why we believe it. These things are critical for us to understand. In the Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about how many times people go, well, why aren't the apocryphal books in the Bible? Or why isn't this book in the Bible? Or why isn't these so-called gospels that were rejected not put into the Bible? Well, there's some very solid answers. We need to know those you know, because it's important. They didn't pass the tests. You know, for, for the so-called Gospels, they're really easy. They weren't even mean when they put the canon, canon together. Uh, they, they, they may have the name Thomas or Mary Magdalene or, or all these other different names, but they were written in 300-400 AD. And the Bible had already been canonized by that time. They were never quoted by the early church fathers. And if they weren't quoted by the church fathers, they had no chance of being included in the scriptures. The early church fathers, if you read their quotes, you can put together almost the entire New Testament just from their quotes of the New Testament. That's why those books were picked. So, as opposed to these other books that weren't ever quoted. So there's reasons, and we want to know these reasons. Now, I, oftentimes I hear people, well, I just have faith that some people did it right. I'm going, oh, that's good, I'm glad that, I, I cannot have blind faith, I'm Thomas. I need to see <laughs> I need to have you prove something. That's why I got to be a computer programmer for part of my career of my lifetime. Very organized here, one, two, three, okay, see it, no problem. I would be one of the apologists who went in and said, trying to disprove the Bible and prove it true, and go, okay, now I understand, it's true. We want to be able to say there are reasons. If you just want to believe it by faith, and you can be strong enough that when people challenge you to keep your faith, praise God, I don't have that much faith, but if you do, great. But the scriptures tell us to be ready, ready to defend, ready to answer. And there's always going to be critical things going on about the Bible. 1850s, Darwinism is coming around. And what does the church try to do? Instead of just believing what the Bible says, they try to figure out how to get the scientific evidence that they've been told that was evidence to fit into the Bible. And they came up with some very weird theories to try to squeeze what they thought was science into the Bible. And now we know that it's, it's a pack of lies, and we should have just believed the Bible, and they should have just believed in the Bible in the first place and forgot about all those weird theories. But if they had just believed, there wouldn't have been a problem. We start out with belief, and then we look for the evidence, and the evidence is out there. We talk about the, rev the resurrection of Jesus. And we can lay down the, the facts of the resurrection. And uh, the lawyer, Dr. Greenleaf, in the 1700s, 
decided to test. He was an atheist, and his students said, put the, put the resurrection to the test of uh, legal standards. So he went through and he put it to the test and became a Christian. Because if I was the judge sitting on this case, uh, you know, I would have to say that it happened. Christians are sometimes called crazy and, and blind faith and jumping off a cliff. But it's the only, only book that can hold up to scrutiny. Okay. Try to hold some of these other religious books up to scrutiny, and it's kind of interesting when you find contradictions with their own pages, much less the changes that they made so that they can make them acceptable to the new generation. Having said that, though, we've got to be careful which versions of the Bible we read, because a lot of the newer versions are, are washing out the blood of Christ, washing out sin, washing out repentance. So we want to be careful what we read. And you know, you know that I read from the King James, but I'm not a King James only person. Uh, I was talking to a guy this morning trying to convince me that King James is the only absolutely good Bible. And I started asking him about the ones before King James, and he didn't like those ones. So, But we want to be very careful, but we do want to be careful. But you know, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is teaching you, if you've got a bad version of the Bible, He's going to move you out of it. It's amazing what has happened. You know, I've, I've shared with others who used to be really hard on this. One of the worst versions of the Bible ever translated was Good News for Modern Man. It wasn't a very good version, but it had Jesus' death and sin and, and, and enough for the salvation. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of hippies got saved reading Good News to Modern Man. And most of them moved on to... Uh, some other version of the Bible when they started being taught. I am not worried if somebody picks up one of these bad versions of the Bible. Because if they are truly saved in a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're going to grow beyond whatever it is they're looking at, and God's going to say, find another one. Go find your disciple and ask them what version they would recommend that you start reading. And, there's, and I'm not even saying, there's some good modern versions out there. And and if you can't read a book that's written on an eighth grade level, the King James Version, go get one of the, great, one of the new versions that are written on a third grade level. You know, it doesn't bother me. You know, or go get the Geneva Bible that was written on a tenth grade level, which is very hard to read. You know, we've, we've simplified the Bible so that people can understand it. As we become less educated, and we are becoming less educated, we're needing to simplify things so people can understand what it is they're reading. It's just like if you're teaching kindergartners, you're not going to give them Moby Dick to read when they can't even read, you know, the, the, the dog chased the cat, you know. You know you're, you're, you're probably not going to give most high schoolers that book anymore because they probably can't read it either. But this is, Paul is saying, I want you to be comforted by Tychus. He's coming to comfort you. I, he goes, I know you're worried that I'm in prison. You, you probably have heard that I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to send him there to comfort you. He's going to tell you about all these, all these guards that are getting, getting, getting saved. He's going to tell you about my chance to, my chance to go before Nero and preach, preach the gospel to the, to the Caesar of Rome. Didn't listen, but he got to preach to the Caesar of Rome. But these are what we look for. And then he just says... I love this. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace and love. And we told you that 
Peace is that settled, tranquil state where, of a soul who is satisfied with their state, whatever it is. When we go through hard times, and we note that I said when we go through hard times, not if, when we go through them, and we will, if we are at peace with God and hiding in God, we can walk through them knowing that, number one, knowing that they were coming and knowing that they're there to show us that we are faithful. And that's what we're looking at here. And then it says, grace be with you all and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the encouragement here is, as a church, let's love one another, edify one another, build each other up. And it's each one of us doing it to, to each other because it's important. All of us know that sometimes we're down. Even the happiest person is down sometimes. Some people are down more than they're up. You know, they, need, they need lots of ministry. They need lots of encouragement. But we need to make sure that we're out there lifting one another up. Because that's what's important, that idea that I love you enough that I'm going to just walk with you for a while, help you go in the right direction. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and just to lift one another up, to, to help walk us through life. Some are stronger than others, Lord, and have greater desire and ability to, to help. Others are, are weak in learning, but as they learn, they can help others. Lord, if there's anybody that's listening to this that doesn't know you, we ask that you reveal to them that they are a sinner that deserves hell and that you paid the price of our salvation, and all they have to do is ask for that forgiveness and ask you to come into their life, and they will have a relationship with you that will change their life completely. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.